Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 248 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we are talking about the U.S. National Cyclocross Championships that took place in Wheaton, Illinois, DuPage County, last weekend. Great weekend. Zach, Michael, myself, all out there, and we are here to tell you our firsthand accounts of what went down in the Chicagoland area. Before we get to that, really just want to remind you about the Wide Angle Podium, all the shows on there, Slow Ride, Still Going Strong. Uh, Zach hosts Nowhere Fast. He has new episodes up there. I just put up a new Grodio, Amanda Nauman interviewing Adam Roberge, which is a really neat interview worth your time and checking out. And I believe that Criterium Nation has their end of the year show, so go check out them as well. Along with the podcast, we also have a slew of videos. Uh, Bodie, who is on this show and a co-host of Cyclocross Radio, also is an amazing videographer. He has some Pan Am videos that he did, and he also is working on Nationals recaps. Those will all be at the Wide Angle Podium YouTube channel. So go check that out. We also talk about the heat check video that I put up last week. Still relevant. You can see how well the algorithm did. Spoiler, it did pretty well. So go watch that. Go share it. Uh, tell your friends. CX Airs Bulletin, again, that's what keeps us afloat. If you can go subscribe to the CX Airs Bulletin, it'd be awesome. Plus, you'll get all of the up-to-date information on what's going on in the cyclocross world. Okay. We're talking about nationals. We got Michael. And Zach, it's episode 248 of Cyclocross Radio, and we're doing all of that right now. We are back in the media pit, straight off the plane and the car rides and everything else from from Illinois and Nationals. We're going to spend most of our time talking about the U.S. Cyclocross National Championships, and then also maybe if we have time, uh, jump into the ski race that happened in Italy. But before we get to any of that, Michael, how's it going? Bill, I made a really great observation today. Um, It's not very punny, but I do want to say that I was driving for work today on the freeway and there was this blue there's billboard on the side of the highway and something clicked in my mind and it was an advertisement for this locally made bean company blue runner beans our current national champion in the men's field is eric brunner who races for on blue bikes i just see an incredible sponsor tie-in for the blue runner Blue Brunner team. So, Eric, you need another sponsor for your squad? Call up. I, I know someone at Blue Runner Foods. You can get that bean hookup. All right. Good to know. Zach, any 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 sponsorship opportunities? I have not seen any sponsorship opportunities uh, in the last day, but that was really that was really well done, Michael. I mean, so really the important question is before we get to everything else, I feel like we have to go to Pizza Corner. 
Bodie. <laughs> yes. Bodie, uh, we'll go to Pizza Corner and Hot Dog Corner. So, Bodie, you you partook in kind of like the classic Chicago foods. So, hit me with your uh, hit me first. Let's let's start with the hot dog. Give me your where to go. Give me the review of the hot dog. So we went. My partner and I, Emily, went to Portillo's with uh, Dan Brock uh, post post media pit session. And uh, I just we had pizza earlier in the week and we wanted to try hot dog. And so I got the I don't know, the the staple, the the the, the hot dog with the neon relish and the sport peppers. Um, it's great. I loved it. Um, and they had the crinkle cut fries, which are my favorite. And I and mint chip milkshake. It was great post nationals food. Highly recommended. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Portillo's is uh, I drove by a Portillo's. Uh, the next day or something. And there was literally like this line. No, I, one of the days coming home, I mean, there was a, there was a line of cars, like the two lanes and it was just out of the parking lot. Like people love Portillo's in Chicago. So you also did some pizza. My understanding is you went to Giordano's. Is that true? And what did you think of the uh, pizza casserole? The great wall of pizza. It wouldn't be a national trip for me if I didn't have to go buy an article, article of clothing that weekend. Um, so I needed a new pair of boots. And so it was cold in Chicago and it was kind of muddy. And I didn't think my running shoes were going to cut it. So we went to an REI and got some boots. And it was like 1030 in the morning. I said, Emily, look at next door. There is a deep dish pizza place. It's only 1030. But if we just hang out in REI for half an hour, uh, we can go eat pizza at 11 for breakfast. And so we were like, let's get the deep dish. We got the Chicago Classic. And yeah, it is an experience. I'm glad I had it. I'm glad I tried it. Um, it's certainly like, I think Emily said it was a pizza pot pie. You know, and uh, if you if you approach it in that fashion, and that's what you expect, it's great. I enjoyed it. It's good. Excellent. Well, I'm, I, I'm really happy that you got to kind of partake in some of their foods. I know that I personally got to... I got to stay at home at my parents' house, which was great. So I actually had had dinner with the family one of the nights. Guys, I had dinner with my parents at a Nationals. Like, I wasn't eating, you know, at 11 at night, eating some sort of, like, warmed-up Starbucks food. Like, I super enjoyed Nationals this year. I had such a leisurely, uh, enjoyable time. And I got to have a home-cooked meal for my mom. I don't, I don't think it could have gone much better. I also had dinner with your mom and dad. Jack. Oh, that's right. That's I great. forgot. Yes. Uh, so now that food corner's out of the way, guys, should we talk about cyclocross? Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about cyclocross nationals. Where should we begin? Let's start at the course. Yeah. So last week, I think right before we did the show, the big the big reveal, the big nationals pre ride happened, and yeah, as usual. People are like, wow, that course looks boring. And people are like, wow, this is why Americans suck at cyclocross is because their courses are boring. Uh, and I don't know. I, it was a weird week weather-wise, for sure. Uh, it seemed like you know there was this talk of rain coming and you looked at, or at least I looked at the, the sheer amount of like off-camber uh, on this course, like very undulating, lots of off-cambers. And I was like, wow, with a lot of moisture, this could be really challenging. <laughs> Uh, and that was my impression of kind of when it ended up happening. And what did you guys think? Yeah, well, we did get a lot of moisture. Um, what was it? Friday? Did it rain all day Friday? Was that the day? Was that the the rain day? Yeah, Friday. And the, the day and I there arrived, was still yeah. 
you know, there's some muddy sections that left on Sunday and it was, it was really heavy, but I think that what, what we were talking about and we'll get to it is that we were saying that, Oh, if it's muddy and slick out there, it'll favor more of the technical riders. But I think instead what we got was more of a preview. What, many of these riders will see if they make the world's team in that it was muddy, which just made it into a really heavy course. And I think that that's, that's what this turned into. It wasn't as much a, uh, a course that favored the sort of agile technical riders, but it became one that really, I think favored more of those who could push the pedals really hard. Yeah. Also, it seemed like, that a lot of sections features that maybe would have been more technical then just became running sections. I'm thinking of the, the Belgian stairs. Um, that was, you didn't really ride down to the stairs. Uh, the section, the pro only sections, like towards the end, um, they looked like most riders were just dismounting. Um, that's that mud pit sort of in the back section, which just it was just, it was a lot more running, which I think to just proves your point, Bill, that it was sort of like, yeah, it wasn't that technical, skill needed it was just the 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 running power and the in the and power point of clarification or clarification if we're doing that uh the 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 stairs were were not belgian stairs they were the new belgium stairs sponsored That's by right. new, did, did you I said say... belgian stairs which you know damn it okay yeah the stairs for sure like they were they were starting to get dicey even on friday i think they were getting really slick and we i was over there uh, watching some of the collegiate races and people that I think Michael, you might've been there where they were kind of like hugging that high line and then trying to get off and realizing that they were just slipping down, like kind of not a sheer face, but it was pretty steep. Uh, but then, you know, watching Saturday's race, Brunner was getting off before the turn into it and just running the high line, yeah. like just, yep. you know, and some people were still trying to ride it, I think, but I think he had kind of figured out and, you know, that that was the thing to do was to just get off and, and run with your bike. And it seemed like it was advantageous. Then you had to run after you had to run for a good 50 yards right. after it before yep. you could get back on your bike. But yeah, it, it definitely was that like really thick clay mud. It was packing up on uh, riders wheels and stuff. Uh, so I told, I told Bill like right after the race, this was my hot take. So we came in, people were like, Oh, uh, course is easy. You know, it's not Namur. My hot take. I think by the time Sunday, I think this course was too hard. I, I think it really made for, we did not get very much compelling racing on, on Sunday, I mean, we saw some absolute, like, just absolute, like, domination performances. Um, so my hot take is that I think this course was too hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it, right? Like, you can't come in and say, oh, like, you can't, you don't want to make a course that's too easy, like, because then if it doesn't rain, then everyone's like, all right, of course it's too. But I think there's that fine line, right? Like, there's just all this off camber. It just was really hard and really thick. And I mean, we saw especially at the U23 and elite level, just dominant performances. So here's my question for you that is supporting your statement, but here, here is the question. What, without looking at it, was the closest battle amongst the three uh, UCI races, so junior U23 elite or six races, I'm sorry, for men and women? What was the closest? In terms of junior. first and second? Yeah, yeah. What was the time gap? Junior. Which Junior women incorrect it was actually almost a tie 
between the junior men at 36 seconds in the next closest race, not even close compared to the other ones, was the men's elite race at 37 seconds. Huh. Other the other yeah. gap the other okay. gaps were over a minute up to three minutes. So maybe I'll I'll end up sciencing this at some point. But I started looking, and I admittedly didn't have time till I was on the trainer, and I was just sweating all over my notebook, and I abandoned uh, this this endeavor. But there were actually there were huge blowouts in Lakewood too, because like Maddie Monroe won by three and a half minutes, and then Katie Klaus won by like three and a half minutes. So I'm kind of curious. I was gonna go do kind of an analysis and do like was the average winning gap? Because I think back to like Reno produced. Not the best course, but like super compelling racing in several of the races. And I don't know, almost like that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Reno had the best men's and women's battles for sure. So the interesting here thing here, though, is once you get the the front runners out of the way, the races actually weren't bad. I mean, uh, in the men's race, three second gap between second and third. In the women's race, uh, seven second gap between second and third. Um, same in the juniors women, four second gap between second and third. So there were compelling battles going on just not just not for the win so i guess i guess i guess that's another another conversation to have is that uh, there might be parity it's just not at the very top yeah so i guess for people that you know we were there uh you had just all kinds of things going on it was in the morning i think the the ruts were frozen and so it was like kind of riders were riding on top of it, but then things started to melt. And I think that it peaked with the elite women's race and we saw really long lap times. It was awful. Like it was like, it was that where the, the, the ice melts. So you're like mud on ice and it was really slick. And then riders were talking about just getting in ruts that would shoot them in random directions <laughs> that they couldn't see. Um, and so it seemed like it dried up a little bit, you know, it was like 20 mile an hour winds for the men's race. But I think, it was it was challenging. Um, I think even at times trying to cross the course running around, it was challenging on that hill. Speaking of that hill, Zach, I thought it was great. I just wanted to talk about the hill and the fact that the way they designed the course, they came up at uh, one, you know, two, three times. And I thought that was... Re- for a course that was, you know, quote unquote, you know, feature list, which I think we discussed earlier that was it was cool that the feature was the fan engagement or the multiple viewing points um the sort of ridge lines that that fans could like do hand ups and the sort of the wall of fans they were riding up into on on the the ride up so i just i just that was a cool environment that was that's the fun stuff about nats and so i think i would just wanted to say that kudos to the designers and um for making the Abbas Hill a, a funds point. And also pretty good for the photographers and, and filmmakers, media folks, because you had, you could sort of be at the bottom and get multiple shots. You could be at the top and have multiple shots around and you could sort of like work that hill and, and, and cover a lot of the race. They nailed it. I, I think that they should take this course and that feature and they should do, you know, a, what is the word? Not a document, like a uh, blueprint for how to design a cyclocross course, especially in America, you know, where our crowds aren't going to be as big. But one, the crowd was huge. And, you know, I was skeptical. Uh, Chicago participation in cross is way, it was way down this year, if you look at the numbers. And I was really skeptical if people were going to come out. And 
they were out for the June. I have not seen that many people in five nationals at like the morning races. Like those crowds were huge. There were tons of people there. And by the time you leave, right, you could not walk around on top of the hill as a, as a photographer because there were so many people. You were just like, I can't do this. I'm just like shoving people out of the way. And I, you know, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And like trying to get through. So, you know, kudos to Chicago and, you know, the greater Midwest. I saw people from Minnesota that I knew. I saw, uh, I know Jesse and Jacob listened to the podcast. And I saw so many friends from Wisconsin that just came down for the day to watch. So, you know, I think they did a good job. And I think the other thing is having an organization like the DuPage Sports Commission. I, you guys saw him around. Uh, there was another another tall person. He looked like the Flanders Classics guy, but maybe like there's this dude is like 6'10". I was like, wow, you're really tall. Um, but, you know, they had this organization with like five or seven people out there representing it. You know, they did advertisements. There was a front page story in the Chicago Tribune about cyclocross. Don't think it was the best written story and the best approach for selling the sport, but we're on the front page of the Tribune. You know, I think having that professional organization to do the marketing, Michael, that you talked about, like not quite having the billboard in Chicago, but you know, they did that legwork and I'm sure that helped encourage people to to come out, ran into just people who are like, you know, they're like, what, what do you run? What do you do? And I was like, well, I run like the only cycle, the site covering cyclocross. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, oh yeah, this seemed cool. I was going to come out and just take some photos. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I just think, I think it was also well and the crowd was so great and the energy on Sunday was amazing. And I was super invigorated by it, Michael, in the way that you were at kind of at Pan Am's. <laughs> To, to add to the makeup of of the course and what you were talking about, and especially that that feature in the middle, the the unique part about it, and why I think it it would be difficult to, or at least um, you would it would be a challenge to recreate it in other places, is that this is this is a golf course. This is a working golf course, and and for part of that, uh, we had the 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 hill that was in the middle was almost like l-shaped it was kind of like boomerang shaped and that's what led to the opportunities to have all of these entrances and exits off of the hill that were different than than what we normally see it, it, it really truly had a more european feel as to how the sides of the hills were used and and i think they 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 were very well and then the other part of it that we really didn't uh, talk about you know we talked about the those those stairs for a while um and, you know you you could make it out there and and see them but the the and they were accessible but a little tough but there were things like the sand pit and then the wooded section were on the sort of east and western points of this course and it was good for distance. It was good. They were good power sections, but I don't think it was the meat of the course. And it was nice that they were on sort of the, the edges. So as a spectator, you didn't feel like you were missing anything really. I mean, if you wanted to see the sand, you could go there. You know, a, a lot of us were going there just on the first lap to, to, to see what happens and then sort of working our way around the track from there. But rarely, unless, you know, you really were hurting for something to go see again did you return and you didn't need to there was there was nothing happening there so that's that's just another plus for how to how to put together a, a course and it's, and and again standing on top of that you could see almost to the sand pit you could almost see the whole course so that was really really yeah i agree really well done my last question for you guys for for race uh, course design corner course design nook 
So I said, I wrote about, uh, and I guess I noticed this. Backyard. Huh? Course design, course design garden. Okay. The course design garden. Uh, a buddy of mine had someone crash in front of him in the sandpit, ruined his race. You know, he had to battle back. Uh, I felt like, I don't know. It just seems like a sandpit that that's, that's that wide, you know, with so many lines through it is kind of a crapshoot. And I personally do not at a nationals like seeing a feature like that. I'm okay with the one at Pan Am's because there was really only one line through that. But I mean, you're, you know, you have these fields of upwards of, you know, 60, 70 masters men hitting that feature. And if someone biffs it and goes down in front of you, you know, you spent 500, $1,000 to get this event. You spent $200 to register. I mean, we don't need to talk about that. Um, And you're, you know, you've trained for it literally all year and your race is over. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think about having a feature like that literally one minute into the course that can, you know, potentially just ruin. And same thing happened to Emily Werner. You know, Emily Werner almost quit the race because someone went down in front of her and sent her to the back in the elite women's race. Wasn't, I'm confused by this. It was a super wide sand pit. Why is, so you wanted a, a narrow one? I just, I felt like there was more potential for chaos for someone to go down in front of you, especially in the bigger fields and ruin your race through no fault of your own at a feature that was purposely put there. Um, now we're seeing other people, you know, something happened at the start line, you crash out. That's a normal part of cyclocross. Like that's going to happen. But I guess my point is like maybe letting things thin out before you put a chaos inducing feature like that, that, and just specifically at a race like this, because I mean, people invest a lot of money to come to nationals. It's not cheap. If you're a master's racer, I'm less concerned about the elites because that's just kind of part of life, but you know, it's also a course for, for masters and you know, more than one person had their race ruined by someone else eating it in the sand. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's like kind of like going to cyclocross and especially nationals and any, every, every time you have a big field and every time people are sort of amped up to race their race and we've seen it. I I mean, I'm not, I'm not negating what you're saying. I'm just saying, I see this, you see it kind of every year that people, you know, you look at Austin, people are like done in the first 20 seconds of their race when they hit the mud. You know, you look at, look at Louisville, there was a huge mud pit right at the end of the start, you know, and, and done. And that's fair. Yeah. You know, no, I, I just think it's, it's, that's, that's kind of the nature of the sport and, and that's uh, what you're getting into. And you kind of like, you can't, you're not, you're not you're paying to to start the race you're not you're not paying to finish it and if if you've done any racing you know that's that's kind of what you're in for yeah this is not gravel yeah so maybe oh, that's fair i mean i you're right like there are mud pits but this was a purposely a cognizant decision it was based on location obviously <laughs> but a decision was made to put said feature there mud yeah pits i just happen. i just never that i yeah i i uh, again, I, I, I just didn't see that as really, I don't know. You're <laughs> Zach's, Zach's, Zach's take this year is beginning of races, not being good. That's kind of your, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, man, maybe it's because it was, you know, I observed my buddy, you know, go from eighth to DFL. So anyway, I mean, it, maybe it's more hits you right when you experience it and it's your friend and you want him to right. do well and yada, yada. So put a pinwell in, sort it all out, and then they come out and then they're hit the sand one by one. Yes, let's just do a pinwell. Okay. Zach, so what I'm getting is you don't want races where there's a big gap 
yet you don't want races where there's a lot of chaos. I'm fine with chaos later in the lap. I just one minute in, I think is like, I don't know. Anyway, maybe I don't have a good point. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. You had a, you take. Had a take. It's just appreciate it. All right. Should we talk about the races? <laughs> Let's talk about the races. Yeah. All right. Should we, I mean, do we want to talk about like the, the under the U23s and the juniors or should we just dive right into the elites? What do we want to do here? I think we should at least list off who won. Okay, let's do that. I I missed the junior races. Uh, I missed some of the U23s, so I don't... But let, let's let's give a shout-out to our national champions. Bill, who won the elite or the junior women's race? Catherine Sarkisov won the junior women. Kira Bond was second, and then uh, Kaya Musgrave was third. I mean, awesome. Yeah, you know, Catherine did great. She uh, had her normal... Clara Hansinger-esque start and went from front row to nearly last row and within a lap she was in third and then you know some issues up front and she was able to just uh, pull away and uh, get a win by almost a minute it was, it was huge it was a great great to watch great to, to see that team do well and then uh, junior men uh, Magnus White the good win there Andrew August in second and uh, Frank O'Reilly in third place yeah, also a comeback win kind of for uh, in the junior men's race. I yep. think uh, AJ August was out front for a while. Yeah, it was. Uh, it looked like everybody thought he had a mechanical or something was going on, and he did. It was. It ended up being a flat tire, which was really sad for him. So he was, uh, you know, re- really dominating that race and had dominated a lot of uh, the junior men's races that he had entered this year so definitely going in there as a favorite and it's always always tough to see when you're when you're taken out by that uh that mechanical well i guess back to the point of that's part of cyclocross right (laughs) i can't come in and be like wow we should really not have mechanicals in (laughs) in nationals races that matter so uh so the u23 races I i mean we'll start with the uh the women Katie Klaus, spoiler alert, she won. She won the collegiate varsity race. Her team won the team. I, th- I think this is like up to 34. I think I tried counting. I think she left after Lakewood with 31. Um, and then, you know, winning the collegiate race, which that was kind of a bummer. There was a crash at the beginning of that one. We were kind of hoping that maybe her and Madigan Monroe would kind of like go at it. But she was involved. Uh, Madigan Monroe was involved in the crash. I think we learned during the uh, U23 they, race. They didn't even make it to the sand. No, they crashed at the uh, sketchy gravel <laughs> <laughs> exit from the start. <laughs> I don't know if we need. I, I'll stop myself. Uh, but I think we saw that, you know, I mean. Katie Klaus is on another level. She finished ninth at a world cup like two weeks ago. I think that, you know, she's, she's on an, you know, not elite level, elite with a lowercase E, uh, and seems like she's kind of like destined to, to continue and turn in those European results. So uh, how many, how many was this that she had? I now? think 34. Okay. No. All right. Cause I used to joke that she had more, national championships and years old she's almost doubled it she's 20 now so she's right. gonna have to she's gonna have to keep on getting these multiple but i mean with her i mean depending on what she does if she you know if she as i think we've heard with rally is going to be uh beholden to road only then her 
her her chances are more limited. I guess you get a tri- time trial and, and road, but, you know, she usually would jump in and get a mountain bike or, you know, something else in there as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, is she going to be on the, I guess this would be a world's jersey, but is she going to be on the mixed relay? Because uh, good uh, good addition there. She could win another jersey there. What's the makeup? I, I, I didn't read the, the rules. What's the, is it men's, women's elite, and then... I don't know. I think, and then definitely, I think a U23. I don't actually remember the exact makeup, but it's a lot. How many riders? It's a lot of riders too, huh? I'll look this up. You guys talk about the U23 some more. Sure. Uh, Maddie Monroe finished second. And then Lizzie Gonzalez, and I think her and Laura Zerner actually had a nice little battle. So it was a little battle for third and fourth. Lauren Zerner, as she is becoming known for, took the whole shot, uh, was leading early on and kind of set the pace high. But, you know, Lizzie Gonzalez, ended up uh, on the podium in that one. And then the U23 men, I a little surprised. Uh, you know, I think we saw the the race at Pan Am's, really tight race, and we saw uh, Tyler Orschel of Brevard win the collegiate varsity race, and I think he's Canadian. Um, but, like, he, I don't know if he was at Pan Am's. He didn't really, you know, wasn't a name. We thought maybe we'd see a battle between Strohmeyer and Clark and Funston again. Um, but then Funston returns and just absolutely dominated uh, after the first lap or so, just absolutely dominated the U23 men's race, won by two minutes, 13 seconds, <laughs> which is super, super impressive. So he's on, he's peaking at the right time. Like Funston is on a good level. Um, but I, I guess my question for you guys, so uh, Andrew Strohmeyer finished second and then Daxton Mock uh, racing for a Trek Cyclocross Collective. He's a Wisconsin guy, so shout out to Wisconsin. He had a really nice race finishing third. Did you guys catch the flow that Funston and Mock were sporting? Um, they, those boys had some uh, some good lettuce. I definitely saw um, Funston's at Pan Am's and uh, I got a pretty sweet slow-mo shot of him uh, with the locks at the finish of nationals. So, yeah. Going back to Funston just for a minute, I mean, uh, if you look at his his season, I, I, I maybe a surprise, Zach, but I think that he was definitely looking like a favor coming into here last year in the U23 going against some some uh, racers like Strohmeyer, her first year in the U23. But you, you look at the way his, his, his season went, you know, sort of, Average to start with, actually sixth place to go across the start of the season was a really good result that had him up there with the top elite racers in there. And then I think something worth worth uh, noting, he was selected for both Waterloo and Fayetteville World Cups and finished in the top 30 in both of those in a pretty stacked you know, global men's field. Comes back from that, wins Major Taylor one day again at the elite level. No U23 races out there. Uh, second on on the other day, comes back from that, wins Pan Am, and then, you know, wins Nationals. And I, I can tell you just talking at him at GoCross, even though it was in September when we chatted, he was like in it to win it uh, for Nationals this year. So this was, you know, he sort of had this, this day um, – circled from the beginning of the season and i think it definitely definitely came through there after especially after that pan am's performance i guess for a point of clarification um lest i get dragged for this i was not saying that i was surprised that he won i'm i'm surprised it was a blowout 
of like massive proportions is what I was trying to say. So just blue team and Scott, I was not trying to say that I was surprised. Uh, yeah, but I, to your point, <laughs> I think that is interesting that, you know, Funston, I looked at the head to head and Funston is seven to two against Strohmeyer. Strohmeyer though had the two times at go cross. And then again at Cincy where his name kind of rang out in the elite race. And we didn't necessarily see that from Funston, but you know, Funston, if you look just, position in the field you know he's seven to two i think this season against against strohmeyer so uh yeah i mean he's been he's been racing well it would be awesome to see you know what he can if he's going to europe or what he can do next year if he can turn in one of those like head turning uh races you know we're all you know against the best of the best we're like oh oh scott funston (laughs) uh your name is perfect for some puns probably uh for michael so do it for michael um, the blue team really uh, kind of having coming in, they're all coming into some good form right now. Um, you know, Sonny was second in the elite race. Um, Funston got, does the the double, the Pan Ams uh, and elite, just like his teammate, Eric. So, yeah, I don't know what Grant Hawk he's doing over there, but I guess he's uh, got him, you know, peaking at the right yeah. time. Sonny um, also single speed champ. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about that is that, uh, what Zach was talking about last week is that, you know, Grant uh, is a coach uh, for some of these guys and also um, does does a lot of the managing and pit work for the team. But as Zach was saying, this is Eric Brunner's team. I mean, this is a program that he put together and that he, he built. So the build <laughs> he built the build team um and I, I think that's that's impressive too i mean we we've seen it on the mountain bike side we've seen it in cyclocross i think from more veteran riders but to have kind of a new guy first year elite here who comes in here builds his own program brings along these other top riders and has them all buy in and um i, I mean it has to be looked at as as the the, the top team in american cyclocross right now yeah, I think you're right. And it's really cool. They've got kind of the Euro vibe. Uh, I know that um, Eric's dad listens to the pod because <laughs> we were chatting about it, but he does the media work. So uh, his his dad does the photography and, you know, travels with them and stuff. So it's cool to see. Uh, it's cool to see, you know, uh, Brandon Fix's dad is doing it too. Uh, this season, Andy Swartz was pitting for Caleb. Yep. Uh, Scott, Scott Funson's dad was out there as well. I mean, there, yeah. Yeah, I love to see. I love that Euro. I love that Euro flavor of the parents getting involved and uh, helping out their kids. So uh, really cool uh, to see that and get to chat with some of them and, you know, know that they follow what we do, too, and (laughs) maybe hold us accountable at times if we uh, don't give them the uh, shout out they deserve or that they want. All right. Any any more words on the uh, men's U23, Michael, or should we uh, move on to the elite races? Uh, just one last note on U23 I saw on that first lap. I happened to be right there after the pro-only section before the start, finished straight, and Strohmeyer was still sort of in contact, but then like got bogged down twice and then slipped into the tape, and I just, like, I kind of seemed like that was the beginning of the end for him, and I, I saw, it was a very brief moment where his shoulders just kind of slumped a bit, like, ah, crap, like, this is not how you start off the race. And I kind of just to go back to that idea about how the course just became super heavy. It, it was like once those gaps started, like unless you were 
so much faster than the person you're behind. You just couldn't, you couldn't close them down. Yeah. And even at the beginning of the race, I think they may have had the slipperiest race of the day. Daxton Mock was leading it, coming across the turn leading into, after pit one leading into the planks, which, I mean, if if you looked at that turn all day long, innocuous turn, I don't think anybody <laughs> went down. I don't think he was expecting to go down with just coming in through like with speed, which I'm sure he had done in every previous, you know, warm up lap and just completely slid out and, and, you know, lost, I think, a, you know, it's early. It's a minute or so into the, into the, to the race, but that went from a two second gap ahead to having to chase back on. It, it was really that just just goes to show just as we were saying the the, the condition is changing throughout the day and just different different places little gremlins jumping up and getting you. Elite races, men or women? Zach, what are we doing? Uh, let's start with the elite women. We usually go with uh, who races first. Um, I, interesting uh, talking to to Clara. I kind of wrote about this in my race report. I feel like Clara's usually seems pretty pretty zen, right? Nothing very inflappable. I think is a, a word for for Claire Hansinger. But Michael, you were there when I was chatting with her. She said she was feeling a, a little pressure uh, for this race. Yeah, no, she did, and I was kind of like you said, surprised to hear that. Um, but I think she she had mentioned that she like. She mentioned that she liked wearing the jersey. She'd worn it for two years. Um, and But I, she also mentioned, I, I saw on the broadcast, that she did feel pressure to bring that jersey back to Europe. Um, sort of, you know, being the rider who's over in Europe, representing the, the States, rocking the stars and stripes, you know, winning races, getting on podiums um, in the elite competition. And it's kind of like, when you're on a, you know, a pro team, a real pro road team, like when you go back home, you, you got to win those races. Like you can't, you got to, you got to win the local races so that, you know, like no one's going to want you on your team. You can't even win your local race. Right. And then you come up to your pro team and you, maybe you're just a the supporter or you're, you're battling for the win, but just this, the idea that, you know, she's really looking back towards those Euro races at some of the goals she's really trying to achieve. And so that did create more pressure for this nationals. And I think, I mean, Zach, I'll, I'll throw it to you. She, how do you think that start went for Clara? I'll get there. In a second. I, I think it, I'll go okay. a step further. And I think that, you know, Clara is going to probably win a bunch, right? And so every win is going to be a number and it'll be like, Oh, she won X number. Uh, but no one wants to be no one wants to be the answer to that trivia question. And I think that she was such an overwhelming favorite in this race that like if she had not won, like people would remember it as the race that Claire Hansinger did not win. <laughs> you know, it's like no one wants to be the Virginia to the UMBC, right? No one wanted to be that first number one team to ever lose to a 16 seed because now people remember and, you know, Otherwise, Chicago Nationals, the people would be like, oh, that's the year Claire choked. So I think there's, even if she won't admit it, I think there's some of that going on too. And, and we've seen that in American cyclocross before. I mean, I chat with Jeremy Powers a lot and he talks he talks about exactly that. You know, he talks about not only winning the Nationals, but when he was on that insane winning streak, that like the pressure through that, that you couldn't even lose. It wasn't that, you know just having a good race or a bad race or whatever. But if you were in the U S and he was not losing races, every race was just like the most, 
the biggest pressure cooker, even though he was the best in the field by far and riding around, it didn't matter. You know, you just couldn't lose. And he was like, once he lost, you know, once Hyde won that championship, it was almost like this huge relief. He was like, all right, now we can just go out and have fun and, and race races. I don't think Claire is at that point. I mean, I think that what she had was good pressure. It's the kind of competitive pressure you want athletes to see. And I also think spending that time in Europe before where she is going against this group, especially of these Dutch riders who are so amazing and so fast and being able to stay in there, but not necessarily winning every race. I, I, I don't think you, you're in that winner's mindset. So when you come back, you know, even though, you know, dis, no disrespect to this field, but she is this, you know, huge favorite in this race and is racing at a different level than I think the other people in the elite field. I don't think in your head you're thinking about that because you've been in all these competitive races. This is just another race. So they may be as good as the people you were racing, you know, the week before. So, um, yeah, as it turns out, Zach, um, not the case really, you know, a lot of pressure that probably was alleviated pretty early on. Michael, uh, I, that was a softball. You gave me I the Badgers women volleyball. Uh, they're playing on Thursday in the final four. I was able to watch them play twice during the week. Another benefit of the week. That was a perfect, just a set. Like you just, you know, the pass was perfect. The set is perfect. And now all I need to do is kind of hit it down. Sonny Gilbert takes the whole shot. And then Claire Hansiger just like, you know what? I think Claire Hansiger, you know, maybe she read the bulletin and talked, you know, me talking about how I don't think that the uh, chaos agents like a sandpit should be so early in the lap. She was just like, I'm going to go to the front in a way that we don't. I mean, I thought, right. I think going in, you thought, okay, the first lap of this race might be interesting because maybe Clara will kind of not get off to a good start. Like, you know, Ray, I guess Raylan Nuss isn't a good starter either. So maybe like Hannah Aaronsman or someone might get off to a really good start. Sonny Gilbert, she showed that she had the legs. You know, it could be kind of interesting. And Claire's just like, man, you know what? I do not want to be involved in any of that drama. I don't want anyone biffing behind me. She rides the sand pit. She gets to the front, really aggressive, rides the sand pit. Sonny Gilbert, second wheel dismounts. Claire's got like a five second gap, you know, at the one fifteen mark of, of the race. And, uh, to, to Caitlin Bernstein's credit though, Caitlin Bernstein, she kind of gets back in the game. I felt like kind of at the Hill, the front side of the first time up, uh, Abus Hill, she was kind of close to Clara, but then, you know, I think you saw riding with that pressure, that first turn, like Bernstein, kind of the, Michael, you're nodding your head, mm -hmm. so you know exactly which one I'm talking about. And then before yeah, you yep. go before the fan, she kind of slipped out a little bit, and then Clara got the gap, and that was kind of, it wasn't game over yet, but like everyone else was in a bad place. Right, yeah, uh, Bernstein, yeah, really kind of didn't have a great start either, but battled in the sand sort of like charged to get back up to that and seemed to be like one of the only riders who really was like oh no there she goes like i have to like sunny said after the race that she had decided she, she she crashed in the um single speed race in the sand had to sort of chase back through that race and so she said that she was just going to dismount and run and run the sand which is like you know good plan you can't hop the barriers every time you you, you dismount so but so she's kind of off. She's, you know, slower than than um, um, Clara. And, and Caitlin kind of makes that move through the sand to chase her down. And I thought watching the stream that she just kind of went all in on that move. Like that was like, let me get on that on the Clara train and try to 
ride there is is as fast as you know as long as I can. And then she got bogged down in that corner. And I read her Instagram. Sounds like she had a ton of mechanicals and um, maybe like a flat or two. So like maybe like that could have been more of a chase. But um, yeah, after that hill, I mean Clara, Clara took off. You mentioned uh, you might talk about Michael with the um, the pre riding and not seeing the course as much. I think we might have chatted about this, uh, but you look like Clara's lead was pretty small after one lap, and you could really looking you know watching it in retrospect, you could see where she was talking about kind of tiptoeing around, and because the course was so treacherous and the riders had very few pre-ride opportunities. And frankly, it didn't matter. Like they were all there on Friday <laughs> to pre-ride and it just starts dumping rain. I'm sure they all were probably like, yeah, no, we're not going to do this. But you know, still their opportunities are like a 15 minute block at the end of the day. Like the schedule is super condensed. So they didn't really get much chance to, you know, one lap. So she's feeling it out. But then in lap two, she just turned it on. And then you saw the gap just like explode. Um, you know, so it was interesting, you know, to hear her talk about that. And you could see, oh, yeah, you know, she was only up by like only quote, like up by like 16 seconds after one lap. And then she was up by over a minute after lap two. So, you know, once she kind of got comfortable, I think she really turned on the the gas and, you know, it was a smart play. You know, she got to the front. She got a chance to kind of like gingerly uh, ride through the course and then kind of just turn it on and ride away with it. What do you think about the, the the rest of the field coming in? Raylan Nuss, I think we all sort of pegged as if not Clara, then she was probably the rider who was was going the best. And after um after that, maybe I, I don't know, Sonny Gilbert probably not a surprise for third place. I mean, I think it pretty you know, she's shown that she rides well in in nationals. But it was interesting. You mentioned Aaronsman, who is a fast starter, but she was she was right there at the end as well. It was almost a three up battle for that second spot and especially for the third spot on the podium i feel bad for aaronsman i you know she was like fourth at go cross on day one and she just all these like fourth places she was fourth at pan ams she i think guys is hannah aaronsman the new courtney mcfadden Cause that was like court. I mean, she was, she admitted it in our, our kind of exit interview we did with her when she, you know, that's kind of her legacy is like the eternal fourth, uh, you know, very good. And, you know, and to be fair, Hannah Aaronsman's very young. I think that we take it for granted how young she is. You look at her cross results and she's been racing for a decade and she's 23, you know, and racing, not just like here and there, like racing full season. So I think that she's a, a rider with potential for sure. Um, you know, and if she's able to kind of put things together, she's an excellent bike handler. Uh, so she definitely has that skill in her back pocket. So, uh, you know, I super stoked for Sonny. I think we got, I, yeah, I got a picture, I guess, of it. And I was like, she posted on Instagram and she was like, this was my what just happened face. <laughs> Uh, you know, cause she fought back, like she was in fifth and then she moved up and, you know, this was probably, you know, the best battle of the weekend. The two of them were together, uh, for so long and she did it and she's a gamer, Bill. We talk about gamers like Sonny Gilbert is a gamer. She, there was a, I got a, a really great moment on video and I'm editing that currently. Um, but she just the emotion after the race, just super raw, super stoked. And she's she said one more lap, you know, kind of felt like she felt like she had sort of really started to get into her groove and was, you know, battling with Hannah, but uh, was maybe thinking about that second was even within sights if she had, you know, just a little more time. But uh, 
yeah, that that was a. I wanted to see more. I didn't kind of see like how that last lap, I mean, we all have to sort of make our way to the start finish line, you know, in that last lap. So we didn't get to see too much of the back and forth between Sonny and, and, and Aaronsman. But um, yeah, I mean, I know that was a good one. I think every nationals, I think we were even talking about this. There's always that name where you're like, Oh, where did this come from? And then you, you know, you're like, that's a really great result for, for the person, I think uh, Taylor, and I'm going to say that I think I'm going to say this correctly now because I was listening to Scott Herman for my pronunciations because he does a very good job of uh, asking each rider how they pronounce their name. So I believe it is Taylor Kirk White uh, coming in uh, sixth place, which was uh, an amazing result for her. So pretty, pretty stoked for her. And down the line, another great result, tenth place, Austin Killips, and. Uh, it's a huge issue out there right now. I think worth at least mentioning for a second. Uh, nobody should come to a cyclocross race or any race or just anywhere in life um, and be harassed. And that people showed up to do that to Austin only because she's living her life is wrong. And I think it a safe sport violation. And it is something that USA Cycling should have done a better job seeing, acknowledging, and acting upon. Yeah, Bill, I think that you encapsulated, you know, uh, my feelings as well. I will say this, though, that... Uh, and I, I've purposely not tried to learn about this organization because I don't, I don't want to. It just seems like, you know, they're very... I mean, hateful and negative, and I, I don't want to spend any time learning about it. I mean, we all encountered them. I know there's one spot where I was taking photos. I just sat down in front of them, and I was like, do I say something? I'm like, no, just just ignore them. But, you know, to, again, to the community's credit, like, they're the big losers here. Like, there was so much love for Austin at this race. Like, everywhere you go, you could just hear, you know, people people yelling for her. And she's just such a great influence. She was at the single speed race before pre-ride running around cheering on jo- Jeremy Boyd Pashkin, which was awesome to see. Like, she's in that Chicago community. Such, like, a positive, like, everyone loves her. Such a positive force. Uh, and, you know, they came there to harass her. Austin won on Sunday. So, you know, for them, you know, their big quote unquote was their big national gathering. They had five people or whatever, uh, regardless of what they think, if they think it was a victory somehow, I think, you know, and Austin, to her credit, just handles it with such grace. I, I think that, you know, she's she's been a target um, and the grace and humor that she handles with it, you know, thinking all the way back to Bill, when you did the podcast uh, that she came on, uh, was it last spring? Um, just a wonderful individual who's such like a huge positive influence on the American cyclocross community. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, but I think there are other, other ramifications bill as you, uh, articulated that like, this is just not cool. This is not what cyclocross is about, you know, and especially we cycling has so many issues with marginalized uh, folks that, uh, we can't have this, uh, at cyclocross races. And I really do hope that the USA cycling does something this time. I, I will say that it, as much as I like Austin before this race, she 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 won a special place in my heart for uh, at, seconds after crossing the finish line, telling me how wrong the heat check was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it put that in the men's race, Bill. You Should we go it. there? We done with the women? Yeah. 
Good segue. I just want to get this out of the way. So I gloated after Pan Ams and I gloated at Bill. And Bill, to his credit, gloated at me mid-race. And he was like, how about that heat check now? So Bill... Do you want to take a victory lap? I, you are, I, I, take the victory lap no. that you deserve. No, I don't want to take a victory lap because I'm afraid, much like Gage Heck, that I'll slip on the steps with one lap to go <laughs> and screw up what was a perfect <laughs> win, place, show, and fourth, <laughs> and fourth place in there. But yeah, no, the heat check, the heat check came out strong. You know, it was, uh, Eric Bruner for the win, Curtis White for second. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Bruner for the win, Gage for second, Curtis for third, and then Kerry for fourth. I, I, it, it, it's not me. It's it's an algorithm, but it took the most heat right. for Kerry in fourth place. I my my Twitter feed is and Instagram feed are full of people. I think more people told me I was wrong about that pick or the algorithm that was wrong, then actually watch the video. It's like, I, I think they just saw <laughs> Kerry's screen cap and then didn't even watch the heat check video. You can still watch it now. It's up there. Go, go give it some clicks. But yeah, that was a, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked on that, uh, that, uh, that showing. All right, so let's start there. I mean, Kerry, Kerry did not deliver and go back to, if you want to go back to the start, he was third wheel coming off the pavement and he let a good five guys pass him into the sand. Like that's just, I don't know, unacceptable, especially with the way that Tobin was just setting this ballistic pace at the front. Like, I, I, yeah, I mean, we saw from Clara where Clara knew what was up and like she got in the right position and Kerry just kind of like dropped the ball and fell asleep. I mean, he went from third to like eighth position uh, and his race was essentially over a minute into the race. I I don't know. It was just surprising to see. Usually he's a really savvy racer and knows, like, kind of feels these, these things out. It just seemed, something seemed off. I don't know. Tobin, Leroy, Jenkins, Zortenblad. Just, <laughs> just sending it. And I, I didn't he tell I think he told, well, he put it out there. I don't know if it was you or uh, Zach or, or somebody. He's like, hey, you know, may not win this, but it's always fun being out there in the front, you know, just at least, at least giving it a shot. Yeah. Well, and Brunner, I think Brunner, to his credit, like he loves just jumping on those train. You know, he talked about um, the Scott McGill train at Pan Ams. He's like, I'm good. Like, McGill, you do your thing, baby. Uh, and he just slotted in second wheel. He's like, Tobin's going hard. I'm good. Like, I think he could have pulled up around him. And he's just like, no, I'm good. You know, and then Gage kind of pulls to the front and Brunner was kind of, you know, right on his wheel. But I guess to me, the moment, you know, you, for us, Bill, you were there because you decided to go the hill. I saw the yellow hat when I was watching the replay of the live stream. You were kind of at Abus Hill in the first lap where the rest of a lot of us were at the, the pit and couldn't get over there in time. But I it just seemed like early on Brunner was riding a different sport like they come around the corner the caitlin bernstein corner and like he just accelerates right past gage like gage didn't really biff the corner or anything he just zooms right past him and it just seemed like he had this course dialed and was riding at a pace that you just did not see uh from gage and curtis they were fighting the course and brunner was just running like riding it like it was dry at times almost it It was wild it was effortless that 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 was the crazy thing and i think that's just the i mean what we talk about with Eric Brunner and is that he's kind of right now the full package, right? I mean, he's one of, if not the most 
powerful guy in the field. And oh, by the way, he can also handle his bike. That's that's a tough combination to beat. But you're you're right, Zach. I mean, he's just one of these guys. You 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 see him out there on the road. You see him in a time trial, whatever else. He just he looks really pretty riding a bike. It's like that's how I want to look when I'm riding a bike. You you know, you're like, give me a bike racer. That's what that's what this kid looks like when he's riding. And it was, it just didn't, you know, there was no shoulder shrugging. There was, you know, rocking. There was nothing. He was just like smooth, just, just kicking laps out. And it was pretty, pretty insane to watch. I mean, you know, seeing him at Pan Ams, seeing him at nationals, like, I, I wonder how much of this, just that peaking at the right time, the form that he's on, like, remember he was sick earlier in the year. Um, you know, and just maybe not being at his best and been really able to ride into some good fitness has paid off for these, these, these results in the end of the season. The wild thing, Michael, when we were, uh, Michael and I were kind of tag team in the interviews was asking questions. He was there doing video. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I didn't really start riding hard till lap three. And we we're like, what? <laughs> he was, he was either um, beating them. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, so he gets a 16-second gap on the back half of the course. So him and Gage hit the stairs together in the back part in the woods, 16-second gap after lap one, 20 seconds after lap two. But then you see it, he was up by 41 seconds after lap three. You're like, okay, yeah, so he definitely started to ride hard at that point. But that's just wild that, like, you know, he dropped Gage and he dropped Curtis riding you know, tempo or not tempo. I'm sure it, like not his hardest. He was not all in and he got a gap that would have been probably Dude, decisive the rest of the way. I mean, it was a 20 second gap. Like it was pretty, pretty sizable, especially the way he was just riding around that course. It's those, it's those arrow bars, man. I'm telling you marginal gains on that course. I mean, we're going to see next year. Kerry Warner is going to be on, Forties uh, uh, with the, the tilted in shifters. He's gonna drop that, slam that stem a bit. You know, Curtis White, same. Look out for it. So my story about about Brian, I mean, he won. Like, I he's a deserving national. That, that's the thing, though. So like, this course was really hard. I think we got deserving national champions. I guess you know my my biggest fear has always been that you do have like a legitimate grass crit where it's like a ten up sprint, and then like someone who has barely cracked a top five all year ends up as your national champion. I feel like we got legitimate national champions, but uh, they did a press conference on Friday and USA cycling kind of organized this to give the athletes uh, a chance to kind of practice talking you know, to the press and answering questions or whatever. And he's like, yeah, he's like some people, some people have been saying, I, I, I don't ride well in the mud. <laughs> it's like, I know he listens to podcasts and I like looked up cause I was typing away and I was like, I smiled at him. And so that was my first question. <laughs> and I was like, it's like, so Eric, some people say you don't ride in the mud. <laughs> he was like, yeah, they did say that. And they, were wrong (laughs) so i I like eric you know he listens to the podcast but he's it's been fun that he's you know that we can have a good time like this is what we want cross to be is he's still having fun doing it and we can kind of troll each other um you know the way that austin was was trolling you bill I, i i like that that we have you know that rapport and that there's good natured uh ribbing and that you know people listen to the podcast the one uh you know brunner i i was i did, did leave a comment from USA Cycling's Instagram post because they said Brunner finally won a national elite uh, championship. And I was like, man, tough crowd. First year elite. 
<laughs> and we're going wow. with finally <laughs> this the struggle finally. is real i guess uh but that that's only to say first year elite eric brunner gay check technically first year elite even though he won the elite field last year and then fifth place another first year elite zach one of your uh former uh home Hometown, homegrown uh, uh, sportos there, Caleb Swartz. Uh, really just career-making uh, day for him. Yeah, it was it was awesome to see. He had a lot of supporters. Like I said, his dad, Andy, was kind of going uh, back. I, I don't know if he's been traveling as much, but growing up, Andy used to work the pits. And if you know Andy, he loves working the pits. <laughs> like he was dressed up in his Carhartts and he was ready to go and uh, really cool uh, to see it. But Kerry, he got off to a great start. He was in fourth and he ended up in that Kerry Werner battle. But you know, he was not backing down, you know, for Caleb uh, to find himself with Carrie. Carrie. Caleb knows, like, Carrie's beaten him all year. Like, you're riding with Carrie, like, the former Pan American champion. He didn't back down and raced really uh, strong against him, which was really cool to see. And Carrie, you know, ultimately battled back and took fourth <laughs> to fulfill his heat check destiny. Uh, yeah, I just imagine for Caleb, it was really cool uh, for him to see, to have his parents. And, you know, he'd raced, he would, him and Andy and the whole family, Emma would drive down to Chicago, you know, all when he was in high school, he would drive down to Chicago for the Chicago cross cup races. So everyone in that scene knows him. Like he's just, you know, he's the Midwest goal. That's what you like to see. That's like Courtney McFadden almost finishing on the podium at Lakewood. That's Claire Hansinger winning her first national championship in the Pacific Northwest. It's just one of those really kind of homecoming, really good feel, feel good stories, uh, that you love to see and that uh, you're just you're stoked for the kid and excited to see what's next for him. Caleb really just just grinding away though like not giving up though, right? Like he would get gapped and then he like would work his way back up and then he would get gapped and I would just I would just following the race and 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 trying to think okay, well, Brunner's up the front, like is there any other little stories I can follow and 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 that was the one that that kept popping up. So just like I said I mean I I wish I don't think I did the greatest job covering some of those other stories just because how some of the gaps are opening up um, and and how I wanted to move around the course. But yeah, it was like that battle and like the Sonny and, and Hannah, Hannah battle were just really intriguing to watch. Yeah, Kerry Warner with his work cut out for him. He had this group of Dillman fix, hate it for a, for a while. And Caleb Swartz that he, you know, was kind of, kind of fighting all day long. That's, this is very reminiscent of like a, not not like a pony camp, but oh, yeah, um, yeah, no, it's Curry Curry sh- Warner's like pony a, camp for sure. Yeah, was it called a Sherman camp <laughs> or a a, a dog and dog and pony camp? I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Other, I, I will give Curry credit. Like Curry could have he could have underquit. I mean, I think it was pretty evident. Yeah two minutes into the race that his race was done and it just was not going to happen. And he could have quit. He said as much, he was like in his Instagram post, he's like, I was going to quit, but the crowd kept yelling to urge me on and he stayed in and fought. And so I disappoint, right? Like we've all seen it where the rider who with has potential to win and they're just stuck and you know that they're having the worst day of their life and they don't quit. So to his credit, he didn't bail. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, um, Looking down there, some other compelling stories. Get your guys' take on this one. Stephen Hyde coming across the line, waving at everybody, sort of giving a wave back there. Nothing has officially been said, but 
I mean, if you're reading the the body language, if you're reading what's going on, if you look at his Instagram post where he was, you know, with his family and and uh, out bird watching pretty much the day before the race and then flew in and, and raced. Um, this might have been the last time we see him on the national scene. I mean, he hasn't said anything. I mean, this is purely speculation, but it, it definitely seemed like just that he was enjoying himself and he was here to kind of put a put a button at the end of the end of the season and possibly his elite career but i guess stay tuned yeah i think that in his post race too i think you know seeing him talk to people i don't i don't i I thought i saw him talking to carrie and like tearing up so i think yeah i think it's kind of the last one it's the the jeremy powers at louisville it's jonathan page at reno you know i think that may be maybe the last race for him I uh I specifically waited and and this is you know kudos to Bruce. Bruce said, "Hey man, this might be your last hide shots." And so he was coming around hitting the barriers and that's right where we would go into the the finish line and Brunner was getting was finishing his lap and I was like everybody was going there and I was like, "Let me just wait one more of my backlit sun flare shots with Stephen Hyde in slow-mo and got that and banked it and just, I'm, I'm glad I was able to do that and see him, see him race. And, um, so yeah, I mean, quite a, quite a year he's had, you know, to fight out there for that ninth place. I mean, I, it was good. He, he was charging until the end. So the, uh, the other, the other fun, fun story in there was the Elwood brothers in uh 13th and 14th place and, uh, <laughs> racing, racing together, uh, Ross coming out in front of, his older brother grant but you know ross given all the credit in the world to you know this is a great finish for him 13th place again and another one who was first year elite and uh he said yeah grant was awesome he just would go out front and he'd like pull back the next person in front of him and i was just able to get on his wheel and then go from there and it was just just kind of neat that these uh these two brothers were kind of working together in in that race um and i think that in the end grant being the awesome person that he is almost working for his brother for a, for a better position. Yeah. It was awesome to see Grant. I mean, he, I guess, I don't know who I talked to, but was telling me that he really wasn't going to race, uh, this year at all. You know, he's in graduate school at CU Boulder and he decided to kind of cobble something together racing wise. And, you know, he came out and actually had a really good race with Sam Knoll in the uh, collegiate club race, my as a uh, someone who went to a university that had a collegiate club program that I used to ride with always, you know, special in my heart, uh, the collegiate club folks not racing for the varsity teams, but still being really good. And yeah, it was awesome to see he got another national championship, uh, got to represent CU Boulder and con- continue the CU Boulder dominance of the collegiate club race, you know, following in the footsteps of uh, uh, Brunner, Eric Brunner and, and Max Chance, who kudos to him you know he's out of the game like max chance is not in racing shape anymore but he had quite the costume in the single speed race <laughs> you, you know what else he did in the elite men's elite race he was working the pits he's part of that blue build program he was in there working the pits for uh, bruner yeah that's great so oh i wanted uh while we're we're wrapping up i wanted my other proposal before i forget i don't know if we're are we done with the elite men's race well, I, I think well, I, a couple more, one more points is that, you know, Curtis White, second, Gage in third. Gage was in second most of the that race, um, Curtis White in third. 
Gage slips on the stairs. I think that was the the last lap, right, guys? Yeah, because everybody had moved on from the stairs. Curtis White comes around him. You know, we we chat. You know, I saw him after the race. You have the you know the usual swarm around the winner, Bruner. You know, it's great. You want to see that celebration, but Curtis White a little bit down down the row, just kind of taking a moment to really. I think I think this one hurt for him. You know, I mean, he graciously. Gave us an interview, Zach, after the race, and you know, he you could see it. He was bummed. Um, I mean, kudos to that guy working hard, doing the podcast. Um, I know, I know that he really wanted this one. Um, and it did, just didn't work out for him. Um, but you know, some I don't know, I guess I saw a little bit of like Curtis I hadn't seen before and kind of I don't know, got a little more admiration for him and just the hustle he has and just, uh, you know, tough one for him. But I mean, still second place. How know? many years in a row? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Three, three years in a row for him. The three different people. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I was in, I didn't even sugarcoat. It. I was like, are you upset? And he's just like, yes. What do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, um, a rare, so. a ra- a rare non-diplomatic uh, or semi-diplomatic um, Curtis White. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, but to his credit too, like he is the consummate pro. Like he did not want to give that interview. Right. He gave us the three minutes that we asked for, and like he knows what he needs to do. And I will say too, I would think about love Gage. Gage is always so upbeat. Like Gage wins, he's upbeat. Gage, you know, finishes third, has a last lap mechanical. He's just so so positive, and he was just like, he's like, I was really impressed with how Brunner raced. I, that's how I would race it. I would just go out hard. I kudos to him. Like he did that well. You know, like no excuses. Just super. I you know. Kudos. I think Gage has a really bright future ahead of him, regardless of it's in cyclocross or not. And I just think that he's been a good pot. I, I just love his positivity. Like, you know, and he was kind of taking a moment to reflect on his year wearing the stars and stripes, which I thought was really neat too. So yeah, it was uh, super great to, to get to chat with, you know, two guys who maybe didn't have the best result, didn't have the best day, but we're still, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just appreciated it. Yeah, I just I it really stood out in my mind when Gage said, you know, I'll always have those stars and stripes like cuffs on my jersey. Really respect it. Like it's an honor to have it, to wear it for two years, and like it'll always be a highlight. Sort of just just really kind of like putting a lot of weight on nationals and and sort of like showing how important that is to him and like also just kind of showing like, you know, what a good race that Brunner had and that he respected that. And so yeah, that was that was cool to see. All right. So my proposal, I, you know, we, we go to Nats, we, we spend a lot of time there. I think that for everyone, like different races have their highlights, you know, uh, the women's 40 to 44, Aaron Feldhausen, you know, great Wisconsin representative got to see her, you know, win a race, which was awesome and kind of chase her around and (laughs) give her the pro treatment, which I think was really cool. And, you know, see that, I always look forward to the collegiate races because I think we see a lot of these U23 stars that are that are in that race. Uh, but I think really what gets you hyped for Sunday is the single speed race. And without fail, the single speed race doesn't, it always delivers, right? Louisville, remember Bill, you had that amazing video of just the hill, which was just 
incredible. You had another amazing video of them going through the sand. It's a big field. It's a lot of energy. There's hand ups happening. It's like old school cyclocross. So this year we had a delay in the schedule because basically everyone's tent blew away overnight on Friday. (laughs) Uh, They canceled the industry races, but they shortened everything else. That sucked. The single speed race is so much fun. And for them to only do, in some cases, two laps for some riders sucks. So my proposal, just get rid of the industry race. Like, a waste of space. Like, no one does it. I think there were a total of, like, 13 people pre-regged for it. Get rid of that. Extend the day. Make sure that the single speed race is, like, a 45 or 50-minute race. Because, like, you have, like, legit athletes who are targeting this race. Like, let's treat it, you know, for a lot of people. Like, Jake Wells wanted to defend that title. Like, Sarah Sturm and Sonny Gilbert came together, you know, to, to battle and had a great race for the win, but it's just so much fun to be a part of. It's just so much energy, especially with the crowd. I think it gets away. People get excited for Sunday. So my proposal, keep the juniors, start them at AM or 7.30, get rid of the industry race, more single speed. Like more single speed categories, Zach. I like it. I like it. No, <laughs> no, more time. I want like a 50. I just, it's a party. The single speed race is a party. It's so much fun. I've never not had fun during the single speed race. There's costumes. It's like, it's everything that like, you know, we, that made us fall in love with cyclocross, right? Like just that atmosphere and the fun and the excitement, but there's also a race going on and you're watching like legitimate people. You've got Ben Frederick, like very meaningful for him to win that race, takes off his shoe to celebrate, but you also have people that are just there to party and like kind of kick things off, you know, for the weekend, like for, for Sunday, more single speed, make it a 50 minute race, forget the industry race. All right. Oh, uh, before, before we go one, uh, we, we did get a, a letter asking us to talk about, uh, Clara wearing her stars and stripes Jersey, uh, during, during the race. And if that, you know, why she was allowed to do that. And, um, I did check with USA cycling and they cited UCI law to me and, uh, Clara or Cannondale CX world was fined for her, um, appearance in the stars and stripes jersey she was not allowed to wear it and she was she was assessed a fine for that wait what oh that's wow okay because on the live stream tim johnson was telling us that it was a new no they changed the rule because hi did hyde get fired in 2019 for wearing it at lakewood i am telling you what usa cycling told me Really? Mm-hmm. So wait, they created that's that's just like peak USA Cycling creating a it's rule not, that it's ensures not, it's not USA Cycling. They were they no, were, they made the rule. You couldn't no USA go back Cycling and try to find, was citing UCI rules. It's a UCI rule, not a USA Cycling rule that you're not allowed to wear the kit. Correct. No, but they they changed the rule in 2019. The UCI did. No, USA Cycling did. Like UCI, go back and try to find. <laughs> the UCI does not have. USA Cycling does not trump UCI. Did Hyde get fined in 2019? I don't know. Because he wore it at he, he wore it at Lakewood. I mean, maybe they didn't catch it, or maybe nobody complained. But that this is, uh, you know, I was asked, I emailed, I got a response. That was the response. I will, uh, if I could find it, I would. Wait, didn't we have this discussion before 2019, before nationals? Like it was a thing. Like you could wear the kit. Like they were like, we want people to know who the and. Maybe it was only for the masters and maybe the elites didn't get the memo. Allow me to cite. Mm. Okay. Uh, my email from USA cycling 
During the Elite Women's Cyclocross National Championship, Clara Hansinger wore a national champion's jersey. This event is a UCI-inscripted race run under UCI regulations. Wearing a national championship jersey is a violation of UCI regulation 1.3.068. Hansinger and her team, CannondaleCyclocrossWorld.com, were fined in accordance with the UCI regulations. Oh no, I don't. I don't doubt that that's what occurred. But I also remember there was discussion. I now now you're making me feel crazy because there was discussion about how like people like Meyerson wore his jersey, so maybe it was only for Masters and that the memo was missed. But like Meyerson wore his Nationals kit at Lakewood Nationals, as but that well. wasn't a UCI race, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. Um, okay, uh, very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I think that it mm. was. She was the the difference also that we've seen throughout the years, Zach, and I don't think you're going crazy, and I don't maybe if if that was true with Stephen Hyde, he was not fine because I think we have seen that this is very UCI official dependent upon what they want to enforce and what they don't want to enforce. And I don't know if somebody brought this to their attention okay. and said, Hey, she's not allowed to do that and sort of forcing their hand or or what happened. I'm just telling you that I received uh, emails asking us to talk about it. So I contacted, I did some journalism, as you like to say, and contacted USA Cycling, and that was the response that I got. Oh, interesting. It's all hmm. very interesting. All right. Learn something every day on this podcast. All right. Did we do it? We will talk about the uh, snow race that took place at Val de Sol. Hopefully next week. Uh, I don't know what else we really will have to talk about, so it'll be something to discuss um, along with other European races that take place. I do uh, just want to thank Zach and Bodie, and I think you all should as well for all the awesome coverage that they did for the Bulletin and the YouTube channel from Nationals. I loved seeing it. Um, I look forward to those edits coming out. Michael, for, for what you got for the elite races. So, you know, Amazing job, y'all. Um, I'm stoked to be a Bulletin subscriber. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. All Me right. too. That's a wrap on the domestic season, y'all. That is a wrap on the domestic season. It was an interesting wow. one. Maybe, maybe that's something, too, we can discuss next week. Sort of just do a post-mortem oh, for, we've the, got, for the year. Dude, it's almost curse period. We got two World Cups next weekend. Then we've got curse period. We're going to have so many right Like... Just gonna be like races to oh man we're two weeks away from discussing dendermonda omg that's it that flyover is <laughs> gonna change everything all right let's get out of here see y'all next week hang in there kid blue runner beans Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.